Well, good morning, Gateway. I bet you guys didn't expect to see me here this early again, right? Um, last week, I was able to give my testimony, and I am grateful for the opportunity to be able to fill in for Pastor Ed, that faithful servant who has been on, 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 on point every Sunday for so many years. Um, so just remember, I'm not him, okay? So we'll see what the Lord has for us today. Um, I do believe that what we have to hear is timely because God's word is timely, amen? So before I get too far into it, let me open us up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather once again. We recognize, Lord God, that this is an opportunity that you afford us um, because of your grace. We recognize that our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world do not have this afforded to them. So help us not to take it for granted. So when we come, Lord God, we expect to hear from you. But wonder of wonders, Lord, you, you like to use broken vessels, and I am such as that. So I pray, Father God, that you would help me to communicate effectively so that I might be able to faithfully speak your word so that you might be glorified and that your people will be blessed by it. So take this time and bless it, I pray thee, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a few years ago, uh, God granted me an, an awesome opportunity for discipleship. But for those of you who don't know, um, discipleship is a passion of mine. And you're going to understand why from the story I'm about to tell. I was working for a company with a husband and wife team, and not long into my employment, I noticed that there was something wrong in their relationship. So it, it so happened that God orchestrated it so that the husband and I would spend uh, a lot of time in the car. We had an hour out and an hour back. And whenever I have a captive audience such as that, and I see a problem, we're going to talk. So I discovered that uh, he was a believer, but was young in his faith. Uh, so he was hesitant, but willing to share what was going on once I started asking questions. They were having some serious marital problems, and things were not going well. So a couple of weeks into our conversations, he came to me and told me that his wife decided that she was going to move out in order to get some space. And then he mentioned one detail that grabbed my attention. He said she took everything she owned. It was then when I said to him, I'm about to tell you something that's not meant to hurt you, but to help you and to prepare you. I told him, your wife is not coming back. Needless to say, he did not initially take that well. But I then explained to him some of the things that he was going to be able to expect to see from her. And just about everything I said to him happened exactly like I said it would. It was as if the Lord did not let any of my words fall to the ground. But what I witnessed him do in response is why I really love discipleship. Now, we all know that it takes two to make or break a relationship, right? And for his part, he was trying to own what he had done. And in the process, I watched this man extend the hand of reconciliation to mend the relationship, despite some very unpleasant things he discovered in this process. It was a struggle for sure, and they ultimately did get a divorce, but he stepped into the struggle with the power of Christ. So why do I tell this story? It's not because of my part in it. I was incidental to the whole thing. God was at work. But this story teases up for answering the question of how do we stand firm in the midst of struggles? Our teacher today is going to be the Apostle Paul. 
Our text is going to be Philippians 4, 4 through 7. So please find your place there. Uh, But before we get to that main text, I want you to hear what Paul says earlier in the letter. And he says in Philippians 1, 27 to 28, says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner of the, uh, a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, notice Paul's understanding of the gospel of Christ. He's not simply talking about the story of how we got saved. What Paul is referring to is the active power of the gospel that operates in our lives no matter what the situation is. So in other words, Jesus did not save us to protect us from struggle, but he saved us so that we'd be empowered to face our struggles and gain victory. Let me say that again. Jesus did not save us to protect us from the struggles. He saved us so that we would be empowered to face our struggles and gain victory. Now, let's turn our attention to the text. Now, by way of um, background, this letter is one of four prison epistles that Paul wrote. It's important we keep this in mind. Paul was in prison as he writes this letter to the Philippians, so his perspective is critical to understanding us, for us to understand why he's writing what he's writing. Paul is preparing the Philippians for what he knows is coming. The Philippians were the first church that Paul established in Macedonia, and he enjoyed a warm and intimate relationship with them. They loved Paul and supported his ministry. There were no major problems going on in this church. However, there were a few things he wanted to address before they ballooned into major issues. Things like infiltrators trying to make names for themselves, rumblings of division in the church, conflict within the church, and coming persecution. This was the Philippian context Paul was addressing, and if you notice, some of that applies to us today. We're dealing with the same kind of things. So let's read Philippians 4, 4 through 7. These concluding remarks that Paul gives us here is actually a good summary of the letter, and I'll explain it to you shortly. So let's have a look. Reading, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there are six points that I want us to grab from these three verses. Let me give them to you up front, okay? It's rejoice, reflect, Remember, relax, request, and then reward. Let me give them to you again. They're on the screen, but they are rejoice, reflect, remember, relax, request, and then the reward. So let me start with number one, rejoice. Paul uses this word word rejoice or joy about 16 times in this short letter. Is it possible for us to be joyful or rejoice in difficult circumstances? The answer from Paul is an emphatic yes. Remember, he is in jail when he wrote this letter. 
his life hangs in the balance. He does not know and he's unsure whether he's going to be released or he's going to be killed. Okay? So allow me to draw your attention, though, to something he says earlier that tees us up for this one point. Rejoice. In Philippians 1, 15 through 18, he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here, put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Notice Paul's attitude here. There were people who preached Christ out of genuine love, but there were those who, whose motives were wicked. These people preached Christ for selfish ambition, trying to make life difficult for Paul while he was in jail. But his response is amazing. The motives, good or bad, did not really matter to Paul. What mattered was that Christ was being preached, and because he was being preached, Paul could rejoice. But Paul goes one step further. In Philippians 2, 17 through 18, he says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. The, the Philippians had been very generous in giving to the ministry of Paul as he advanced the gospel. But here, Paul is saying that if he died in the advancement of the gospel, that he is both glad and rejoices. And he calls them to rejoice with him. So we're forced to ask a question here. How in the world can Paul think this way? Well, if you understood the two verses or the two passages that I just uh, shared with you, you'll know. Paul's joy was not tied to his circumstances. His joy was tied to his purpose in Christ. As a follower of Jesus Christ, Paul's whole purpose for being was to make Christ known. And that through any circumstances. Now, if you remember Paul's story, Paul, um, God told Ananias when Paul was just coming to know the Lord that God would show Paul how much he must suffer for his name. Notice how much Paul must suffer. There would be no way around this. Listen to Philippians 1.29, because this is important for us. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. If Paul could not escape suffering, neither could the Philippians, and neither should we expect to. It is part and parcel of the faith. In fact, this is how we enter the kingdom, through suffering. If Paul's focus was suffering, he should have run for the hills as fast as he could. But suffering is part of the process, but it's not the point. His purpose was to glorify Jesus Christ. And any time Christ is preached, whether by Paul or pretender, he could rejoice, even though his circumstances were not ideal. This is the point for us to take away today. Our joy is not tied to our circumstances. It is tied to the fact that we are in the Lord, and our purpose, like Paul, is to glorify him. Being in the Lord is an important theme for Paul. In fact, it's how he starts off chapter 4. He reminds us to stand firm because we are in the Lord. So let's apply that for us today. 
I will hazard a guess that not many of us are currently suffering like Paul was. We may be dealing with more basic things, a concern for a job, making ends meet, catching COVID. Is your joy affected by changes or the potential changes um, in these circumstantial issues? Allow me to remind you again, your purpose is far greater than any of these. You're in Christ, and your joy rests in the glory of his great name, and because of this truth, you can rejoice. Not only can you rejoice, Paul actually commands it. Number two, reflect. Now, when I use the word reflect, I'm not saying that Paul wants us to think about something. He's not talking about pondering some concept here. The type of reflection I'm referring to is the, the, like the moon reflecting the sun, okay? Paul wants us to exhibit a certain quality that emanates from Christ and, is, and it's reflected in our lives. Paul encourages us to let our gentleness be known to all. What Paul means here is that we are not to insist on every right we are entitled to, either legally or by custom. Paul is alluding to three things with this. Division, conflict, and the coming persecution that the Philippians will be facing. Now, chapters, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, is going to give us good backdrop for this, for this point, this reflection point. Let me read this to you. Therefore, if you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And here's the beef behind that. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Lord did not insist on his right as the creator God. Instead, he humbled himself for the glory of his Father, to accomplish his incredible, this incredible salvation he offers to us as a gift. This is the model Paul is asking us to follow. He commands us to develop a rep- reputation for having this quality of the Lord in all of our relationships. We need to be characterized by this gentleness toward believers as well as unbelievers. In every situation, we do this. And if you remember, when John considered the life of Christ... He made made use of these words when he penned them. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Consider for a second the woman at the well that met Jesus, or the lepers, the blind, the hungry. When they met Jesus, they didn't find someone who was demanding anything from them. How about the soldiers who came to take him when he was in the the garden? They didn't find someone who was demanding, who demanded his right to be left alone. What they found was one who was gentle. Jesus went so far as to heal the ear of the man that Peter, he cut the man's ear off, 
Jesus went so far as to heal that man. And that man went on to take Jesus to be tried. He demanded nothing. When they encountered Jesus, they found one who was gentle and compassionate, showing care for them, not himself. Now, for us today, this could be particularly challenging. If you, decide, if you reside in Fairfax or Loudoun counties, you are in two of arguably the richest counties on the planet. We have a great deal of wealth, and we like our lives. There are two more factors that play into this. We are highly educated, and we are close to, the, to D.C., a power hub. So, if, if we want something, we have the means to get it. But if we don't have the means, we are educated enough to try and figure it out. And if that doesn't work, we can call someone that we know and make it happen. The culture, all of this rather, all of this potential has the potential to make us, and I mean us, believers of Jesus Christ, make us demanding if we're not careful. The culture in general is very entitled. People feel the right to demand their way for one thing or another, but we cannot afford this. In fact, Paul commands the very opposite from us. Being gentle must be a characteristic of followers of Jesus Christ because this was how he was. This was what he was like. Therefore, Paul commands us to develop a rep reputation for being gentle. How we behave and engage people, especially in trying times, speaks volumes. It's the clearest way we reflect Christ. Number three, remember, the Lord is near. Now, this is not a direct command, but it's a very powerful reminder. Why do we need to remember this? Because the Lord, when Paul says that the Lord is near, he's making two points. The Lord is both present and he's coming. The Lord is both present and he's coming. Now, I believe Paul is getting at two important things. Paul is pointing forward to the return of Christ, uh, but I believe he's hinting at something else as well. When Christ returns, he will, we will all have to give an account for our lives. So one of the problems facing believers today is the issue of fear. Whether it's social unrest, political division, or the fear of catching COVID, we have turned in on ourselves. In other words, we're starting to shift. Shift from being sacrificial in the way in which we deal with people and benefiting others to shifting to self-protection. Now, please hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying to throw common sense to the wind and be cavalier, especially when it comes to COVID. We must be wise and discerning about that. But what we need to be mindful of is allowing caution to turn into fear because it will cause us, again, to turn in on ourselves. It makes us think more of ourselves and our own welfare than the welfare and care of others. And that is not Christ-like. Has the concern of COVID caused some of us to stay at home and view online in lieu of face-to-face -face attendance? While a reasonable temp temporary option it's not the traditional way of God's people, nor is it a long-term solution. Our faith is a full-contact sport, and it's not meant to be lived virtually. Remember how Paul encouraged Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. We can face any circumstance because of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. The question is, will we? Remember, the Lord is near. While not a direct command, it is a strong reminder 
and just as impactful. Point number four, relax. Now, when Paul says not to be anxious about anything, he's not saying we should not be concerned with anything. There are absolutely things we need to be concerned with. But what he's saying is for us not to be unduly concerned with anything. In other words, don't be so concerned with any one thing as if that thing is all there is. Remember, we are in Christ and nothing we face is greater than him. Now, the truth, this, this truth frees us to approach any challenge we are facing very differently. But let me give you an example of how this plays out with what the Lord does with the disciples. Luke 8, 22-25, it says, One day, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And they sail, as, he, as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down in the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Here's a question for you. Why did Jesus ask them where their faith was as opposed to what they were afraid of? Now, let me ask that again. Why did Jesus ask them where their faith was as opposed to what they were afraid of? So for the record, whenever Jesus asks these types of questions, he is not looking for an answer. Okay? The question is designed to reorient the disciples. He was asking them, in other words, where are you placing your trust is it in the power of the storm, or is it in me? The danger from the storm seemed great, but it only seemed that way. So when Jesus woke up and calmed the storm, he reminded them that even the storm was subject to him. So whenever we get unduly concerned about any one thing, let us remember this. We are in him. We are in Christ the one who commands the winds and the, the waves. All things are subject to him, and because of this truth, Paul commands us. He commands us to relax and just dial it back a notch, okay? Point number five, request. Now, this last point goes hand in hand with the previous one. The way we keep from being anxious about anything is to talk, about, talk to God about everything, right? We ask him for what we need through prayer and thanksgiving. This qualification, that thanksgiving, is important because it reminds us that no matter what the circumstance, we are in Christ, and nothing can separate us from him. So if we begin there, then we can talk, we can talk to God and tell him whatever we need in the right frame of mind. But there's a dangerous flip side to this that we need to be aware of. Lack of thanksgiving is the first step toward idolatry, and that's evidenced by Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. And it reads as following. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. We cannot properly glorify God without thanksgiving. We will either 
dismiss him altogether or fool ourselves into thinking that God is beholden to us. God is not some heavenly bellhop, nor is he a genie. He is God Almighty, and we owe him our thanks. But there is no greater example of making your requests known to God than when Jesus himself was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was deeply distressed by what he was about to endure on the cross, he prayed. He wanted to find another way if it's possible, even though he knew there was no other way. But what he did know was that by speaking to his father, he could find the strength to endure what he was going to do. So what did he do? He just prayed. Because being honest with the father, he found the strength to do the father's will. He trusted his father to empower him to carry out that will. And in similar fashion, Paul is commanding us to follow Christ's example. We are to bring all our requests to God in prayer with thanksgiving. So, we're about to finish up. We've talked about the first five points. Rejoice, reflect, remember, relax, and that, that last one, request. And here's the payoff. The reward for obeying all of this is the peace of God. Notice how Paul describes it, though. It's the peace that transcends all understanding. First of all, this is not a formula. It's not as if you do these five commands or these five points, and then boom, you have the peace of God. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works, okay? The commands are designed to remind you of your place in Christ. So when you realize that, then the peace comes. So if you can't find any joy in your circumstances, you're not there yet. If you're not reflecting that gentle spirit of Christ when you are in struggles, then you're not there yet. If you cannot relax and cannot pray with thanksgiving, you are not there yet. You have forgotten that the Lord is near. He is both present and coming, and somewhere in your journey, you forgot to walk in the power that he's made available to you. But when you get there, God's peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is using a military term, and he's picturing God's peace moving in like a soldier or a centurion and standing guard against, I mean, uh, uh, standing guard of your heart and your mind. And when that happens, you will know it. But you can't force it to happen. It's a function of you being in Christ, not trying to be in Christ. In other words, it's an issue of being, not striving. Okay, it's February 13th now. Most of us who have had New Year's resolutions, they're failed, right? But what we need for the rest of 2020, because we don't know what 2022 is going to bring, but that shouldn't matter for us. We don't need more resolutions. We need more resolve. The type of resolve that no matter what happens, we will conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Amen? All right, let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that those hearts that you have cultivated and that you have prepared to hear this message, I pray that this word will uh, land into that and that it will grow and have a harvest. Father, that we would be more like you and that we would be that example for this world which is dark and dying, but that you would use us you would use us to make Jesus Christ known. So, Father, if there's anything that I've said today that was not 
keeping with your word. I pray you strike it from the hearts and minds of your people. But if there's anything there that is faithful to the text, Lord, I pray that you would help them to be mindful of it and that they would live thereby. So we take this time and this word that you've granted us, Lord God, and we commit it to you for the blessing of your people and the glory of your great name. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.